0: This episode of Pet Resource Radio is brought to you by Nicholson Capital Management, where they've got just one mission, to help their clients evaluate and reach their financial goals. Their active wealth management services and consulting services will make your journey easier to navigate and place your goals within reach. Just visit NicholsonCap.com. Nicholson Capital Management, your journey to reach your financial goals starts here. leptospirosis. We're going to start vaccinating for it. So we're talking about it today with our chief veterinarian, Dr. Jess Nichols, coming up on Pet Resource Radio. From the Pet Resource Center of Kansas City, I'm Dave Shapiro. And
1: I'm Scott Cotter. Welcome to the program. We're coming to you from the room we call the Fishbowl here at PRC-KC World Headquarters, which is actually just a building in KCMO. We're a nonprofit whose goal is to keep pets and people together through supportive services for folks in need.
0: That is correct. That is exactly what we do. And we have a drive through clinic coming up on June the 5th from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. at Hillcrest Golf, Golf Course. That's 8200 Hillcrest Road in Kansas City, Missouri. A drive through clinic that is going to have a full set of vaccinations for dogs, $35. Full set of vaccinations for cats, $25. You got a puppy. You got a kitten. They need to be dewormed. They need to get DA2PP or FVRCP. That's just $10. Uh, do you want to get a microchip for your pet? That's just $10. Do you want to just get the single vaccination for your pet? That's just $15.
1: Bargains abound.
0: Bargains abound. Uh, so that's what we got going on. That's June 5th. Again, at uh, the Hillcrest Golf Course, 8200 Hillcrest Road, Kansas City, Missouri, 9 a.m. to noon. How about we go do some pet news? Sounds like a plan. So first up, some good news for people who love cats but are allergic. A new cat food neutralizes the protein in cat saliva that triggers an allergic response in humans. It's called Purina ProPlan Live Clear. It does exactly that, using an egg product to negate the protein before it's passed on to fur through grooming and then into the environment through shedding. Uh, it's pretty inventive and fascinating stuff. The peer-reviewed studies that led to the breakthrough showed that 97% of cats had reduced levels of the protein, 86% of cats showed at least a 30% reduction, and half of the cats showed at least a 50% reduction in the protein.
1: So what you're telling me is it's cat spit that people are actu- actually allergic to.
0: Yep. There's a protein in the cat spit and cat saliva that people are allergic to. That's what causes the reaction. So what this does is uses that um that egg-based based, uh, thing to uh, neutralize the protein. Interesting. It's pretty fascinating stuff. Yeah, so that's usually how it works is the they groom themselves, the protein gets onto their fur, and then when the fur sheds, it goes into the environment. Well, and for
1: any of us who are uh, cat people, uh, I have one cat at home, and um, she grooms incessantly. Yeah. And, and usually removes those fur balls in her stomach in the middle of the night when I'm asleep so I can step on them in the morning.
0: Yeah. They're very fastidious groomers. And, um, so this is, uh, this is definitely a big, a big breakthrough to be honest with you. Yeah, um, for
1: sure. Great for uh great for people who want cats and great for cats too. Cause maybe this can open up
0: more homes for more rescues to get into those homes. Yep, exactly. Um, and I also want to point out real quick before I forget the, uh, the protein, they don't really know what the protein does for cats. So they didn't want to, they could, they could have made the food so that it gets rid of the protein altogether, but they just inactivated it because they were like, well, maybe this does something for them or it's a byproduct of something. So they wanted to make sure that the cats are safe. So even though they're inactivating that protein, there's no harm to the cats. Science. Science. Science.
1: Crazy. Well, okay. Talking about science. Next up, a study from Washington state university shows that petting therapy dogs provides a brain boost that can last quite a while. Before I go on, I want to say, does it have to be a therapy dog? Can it just be any dog? Because I know, uh, I feel a lot of
0: joy petting dogs. Um, I think for the purposes of this, it's therapy dogs, um, just because, you know, they want to be accurate in what they're saying. But, uh, I, 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 I imagine you can probably get the same feeling Sure, sure. Well,
1: I'm dog obsessed. So there you go. So anyway, researchers studied executive function, which are the skills a person needs to plan, organize, concentrate, and memorize All the things I struggle with, by the way. In other words, the skills that you need to succeed academically in college. So over three years, they put groups of students into separate stress management programs, which used varying combinations of normal academic stress management and animal-human interaction. The results were very strong, said Patricia Pendry, associate professor in WSU's Department of Human Development. And she continues... We saw that students who were most at risk ended up having most improvements in executive function in the human-animal interaction condition. These results remained when we followed up six weeks later.
0: Six weeks.
1: So um, that's a lot of scientific speak for saying petting a dog um, is good for you. Pet dogs is good. You know, I can I can concur. When I was uh, in college, I lived off campus and went to the pound and rescued a golden retriever that I named Samson. And having him in my life was awesome. And after that, I was a steady C student, C average student. After that,
0: saved your life. Yes. So go dogs. Why don't we? uh, (laughs) Why don't we go talk to Dr. Jess? Let's do it.
1: At PRCKC, we vaccinate a lot of pets, somewhere in the neighborhood of 13 to 15,000 per year. The goal is simple: to protect our four-legged loved ones from disease. We've long provided what we call the core vaccines for dogs, that includes rabies, distemper, adenovirus, parvovirus, para influenza, and bordetella. For cats, that includes rabies, feline viral, rhinotracheitis, calicivirus, and panleukopenia. Now we're adding leptospirosis. This should be of interest to any pet owner who lives in a climate where there is water, and since it rains nearly nonstop here in Kansas City these days, and we have tons of lakes and rivers all over, that'd be anyone who calls this area home. To tell us more about lepto, we're joined today by Dr. Nichols, PRC Casey's Chief Veterinarian. How's it going, Doc?
2: Good. How are you guys doing?
1: Uh, we're good. We're good. Looking forward to learning more about leptospirosis. So can you, can you start by just telling us what it is?
2: Yeah. Um, so it's actually a bacteria and it lives all around us. It lives in water and soil and lots of different animals um, and can infect your dog. And so, infect us.
1: And so here in Kansas City, we actually have water and soil and lots of animals.
2: So yeah, we do. We have got lots of water, moist environment, moist soil. So certainly this area, Kansas City, the Midwest is more at risk for having a lot of cases. Um, one thing that we don't know about is how widespread lepto or leptospirosis is. It's what we call an emerging disease. So we're still learning a lot about it. We're finding it a lot more the more we look for it. And so it's kind of ever changing as far as knowing how widespread, how common this bacteria and disease really is.
1: So who can get it?
2: So... Um, Kind of in your household, the main ones are you, humans, and dogs. Cats rarely, rarely get it. And when they do, they don't get sick from it. Um, And then there's a long list of other animals, rodents, wildlife, and livestock that can get it too. So it really is.
1: That sounds like it's uh, kind kind of everywhere. Perfect home in the Midwest, livestock, animals. Moist environments. Yep. Dogs.
2: Possums are on that list. Possums. Voles.
1: So how is, so now, um, so now that we've established that uh, basically a lot of us are at risk of lepto, how is it transmitted?
2: Um, so it lives in water or it exists in water and then it's spread by infected animals through many routes and excretions, but the main one is urine. So water or soil contaminated with urine of rodents, mice, rats, skunks, possums, and livestock, cattle, pigs are the main reason why it kind of stays around in the environment. Um, So you can get it from water and soil that's contaminated, but you can also get it directly from another animal that's contaminated if you're in contact with that urine specifically, or other things. What's interesting is, you know, we think about water and livestock as risks um, or risk factors. So we used to think this is um, most common in hunting dogs or dogs that hike or that live around stagnant water, kind of out in the country. What we're finding now is that we're actually seeing more cases than anything in these urban and suburban dogs that mostly live indoors and just go for your average hike or outside to pee. So
1: that's a that's a little frightening.
2: It is. Um, they do think it is because of the um, possums and the wildlife that live specifically in suburban and urban areas, and then the rodents mainly, too, spreading that.
1: Well, let's talk about symptoms. What kind of symptoms would uh, an infected dog exhibit?
2: Yeah. I mean, the symptoms are pretty broad, um, and it's important to remember that your dog may have it and not show any signs. The other side of that spectrum is that it can actually cause acute death or Sudden death without really any signs otherwise. It's rare, but it can happen. That's
1: pretty terrifying.
2: Yeah. In between is where we most commonly see the symptoms, Um, kind of two categories. One is where they're just ill for really unspecifically. So they have a fever. They feel lethargic. They might have some vomiting diarrhea, but they just feel really ill or flu-like symptoms, like we call it.
1: I was going to say, that sounds like a lot of the illnesses that animals and humans can get.
2: Yeah. So certainly, if you have a dog that's exhibiting those symptoms, leptospirosis should always be on that list. Um, The other symptoms that we typically see is liver and kidney failure. So once a dog contracts that bacteria, it spreads all around the body. It gets into almost every tissue. But the tissues it loves the most and concentrates in the most – is the liver and the kidneys. And
1: you don't want to mess with those?
2: No, you can imagine that your dog's pretty sick if it's having liver and kidney failure. Right,
1: right. Yeah. Is there is there treatment once a, once a dog has gotten lepto? Now, let me say, we yeah. prefer, in our business, we always prefer prevention. Prevention's
2: but, best,
1: yeah. Uh, cheaper, more effective, uh, better for the dog, better Correct. for your wallet. but uh, Better
2: for you, because then you don't risk getting it from your dog. Well, and
1: before we talk about treatment, <laughs> let's talk about that for a second. What happens to a human that, that gets lepto?
2: Yeah. Um, they as well can get no symptoms. So they actually, um, I forgot the percentage. I think they did a study in Michigan and they found about 25% of humans had been exposed to it without even knowing. So certainly, um, you might not get any symptoms. Um, and then similar to us where um, they can get uh, flu-like symptoms, I think is the most common. I don't think they actually get liver and kidney failure as commonly as dogs do. Um, and then I think a lot of bleeding
1: disorders it can cause. That's, that's weird. Yeah. Or like hemophilia where if you get bruised or cut, you might, have, you might not clot as easily.
2: Similar, but not the same. Yeah, where um, you can kind of bleed from the gut and stuff. Oh. But yeah. I am not a human doctor. So I don't know specifically what you commonly see. So obviously, And thank God I haven't known anyone with it.
1: So obviously it's better to stop it at your pets, your dogs, before it comes to you. Absolutely. So now back to treatment. Let's yes. talk about that a little bit. So let's say your animal's exhibiting these symptoms and um, your veterinarian does a test and says yep it's lepto uh-huh. Now what
2: well usually it requires hospitalization because they're pretty sick most often um, the biggest thing is antibiotics and supportive care it is a bacteria so the good news is that antibiotics can work it doesn't always work though so right. depends on when you caught it how significant. Um, the symptoms are how significant the damage t- to any liver or kidneys is. Um, and there is can be some resistance, too, in with the bacteria to some um, antibiotics. Uh, you antibiotics usually have to hit just- it with two different kinds. And it actually can take up to a month to kind of clear all the bacteria. So it's a long process. Um, and then... IV fluids is usually required and other things, um, as far as supportive care and keeping the body healthy enough to fight that bacteria.
1: So you have identified this area as one where lepto is growing, right?
2: Correct. Um, because of the moist environment, heavy rains that we get well, livestock course, in the area.
1: And of course, uh, yeah, I was going to say livestock and then, then we're building, um, housing developments in more into the wilderness. Correct. Which is yeah. Putting us closer in contact with wildlife.
2: Also areas that they didn't think used to be risk areas. For instance, Arizona, very dry, not right. a lot of livestock. They've actually been seeing outbreaks. So um, it That's is weird. kind of, it's either spreading or we're just finding it where we didn't know it existed before. Probably a bit
1: of both. So what's the – so let's talk about – let's go back to prevention. Yes. Vaccination, right?
2: Oh, absolutely. Um, For dogs. If you're wondering if there is a vaccine for humans, I did some research into this because it's not commonly known in the U.S. and it's not really given in the U.S. Um, I think a few pockets in France and Asia with outbreaks in – workers that work in the field.
1: Oh yeah, sure.
2: But it's not really a commonly used vaccine in humans. Um, but dogs, it really is becoming, is becoming. very frequent and recommended. And
1: and we're adding it to our vaccine schedules now. Yes. Right? Can yeah. Yes. Yeah. You talk a little bit about that.
2: Well, we've been wanting to do it for a while. And I think just the necessity is there. Um, in the past years, um, it's become more common for your full service vet to kind of include this in their vaccine protocol. It's not technically a core vaccine, but it's pretty close and it, you know, it may even become one in the future. And that's determined by what we call AHA or the American Animal Hospital Association. Um, one thing that they did say, you know, quote unquote, is that leptospirosis vaccine should be considered in all dogs and, re- and recommended for most dogs. Um, the CDC also says that um, the reports that in the United States, cases of leptospirosis are on the rise. So it's certainly just getting more on the radar um, and becoming more common for vaccination and then the more need for vaccination as we find leptospirosis in more places.
1: So it's not it's not a part of our core vaccines now, but, mm-hmm. but we're going to start offering it and people can add it on. And the price, the standard price is $20. Yeah. To add that on.
2: Correct. And um, so when you get your first vaccine with leptospirosis, it is a series of two vaccines about three to four weeks apart. So um, you get two vaccines your first year and then an annual one injection every year after that to keep up your immunity. So we offer it as $20. The exciting part is that it's $20 for the annual vaccine, but also $20 for the combination of the two boosters. So it's $20 a year whether you're starting it For the first time, or you're continuing to do it annually.
1: So, and right now, uh, our core vaccines with nothing else would be $45 plus the $20 for lepto.
2: Correct. Um, And I do, even though it's not in our core vaccines, I do recommend it for any dog that goes outside at all, even if it's for short walks. Because, like I said, that's where they're finding it even more frequently than these what we think of at-risk dogs with lots of water, livestock. Um, So even though it's not in our core vaccines, I still strongly recommend it for all dogs.
1: And what about, what about puppies is something you can do with puppies. So if somebody brings a puppy up here and we start their booster rounds, we can also start lefto.
2: Sure can. And I do recommend it in the puppies to start when they're puppies. And the reason is, is we more commonly see these in young dogs than older dogs. So is that, it is a young dog disease that they catch more commonly at a younger age. Is
1: that, is that just because their immune systems haven't haven't been tested and built up over time, so they're just more vulnerable?
2: It's possible. Or as the dog gets older, it's more likely that maybe they have been exposed and caught it, and they just weren't symptomatic and they got over it. Um, little bit of research still going on and why we see it in the younger dogs more commonly.
1: So your recommendation for pet parents thinking about it would be prevention. Prevention. An ounce of prevention is better than a pound of cure.
2: Oh, absolutely. Just like with all of our other vaccines that we do.
1: parvo being one of those that's really, really important. Uh,
2: Yep. Mm -hmm. Very common too. So. Both potentially deadly as well. So it's always better to vaccinate than to have to go through this with your dog because it is usually a nasty process and it's not always successful with treatment.
1: Yeah. And nobody, nobody wants to have to go through that. No. For sure. Well, and the, I think the exciting news too is as we're introducing this, and it's obviously something uh, dog parents should seriously consider um, for the time being. Uh, We are going to offer it at $10. So 50% Great. off. Mm-hmm. And what, because we just want to get as many dogs protected against lepto. Yeah. And so that should help.
2: Yeah, absolutely. We want this to become very common and routine, just like it really is starting to become or has become in full service vets or when you go to your primary vet.
1: Very good. Well, uh, Doc, thank you for joining us today and talking about lepto. And um, have a good day, everybody else, too. Thank you.
2: My pleasure.
0: Just as a heads up, that $10 leptospirosis deal is good through the end of June 2021. Next up, we want to talk about something real quick. Over the last month or so, we noticed a proliferation of articles talking about a big uptick in returns of pets that were adopted during quarantine. Now, this time last year, there were stories galore about how many people were adopting pets during lockdown. And now there are stories galore about, quote unquote, pandemic returns and how shelters are seeing large numbers of pets being returned. Since we're not a shelter, we kind of took these articles at face value for a little while. But then the rumbling started from folks in animal welfare. Well, that's not what we're seeing at all. So, we reached out to our friend Casey at Wayside Waste to see what their experience was over there. And here's what she said
3: So, um, as of 2020, one, our numbers have gone up when it comes to animals being returned to Wayside Waste, but not previously when you compare it to 2019. So, basically, to us, that says that in 2019, the return rates were higher. In 2020, they fell. Most likely because people were home with their families, had the time, and all of those um, reasons. And then in 2021, now that maybe life's going back to normal, if you will, they might be returning them for those reasons. We just aren't sure yet. Yeah, so we have several shelters that we speak with throughout the country, and no one on the shelter level is seeing the pandemic surge return rate. You know, on a national level, from different media organizations, several people have heard you know that there is an increase but like i said when you get down to the animal rescue animal welfare level no one's seeing that increase
0: so while the numbers are slightly higher they still aren't seeing close to the number of returns they saw this time of year in 2019 which is what we should be considering our baseline number we reached out to our friends at great plains spca as well and they said the same thing no dice returns aren't looking like any bigger of a problem than they are this time every year We can't really say why some news organizations have been running with this idea when it doesn't seem to be true. We just wanted to let you all know what we know. But Casey brought up something that could potentially push back against pandemic returns should they become a problem. Training.
3: We started offering dog training classes. And so we have several different classes that really address situations that people may be concerned about. Things such as basic obedience class. Just learning, you know, crate training or helping with separation anxiety different boredom busters things that just keep your dog entertained used to having life away from your human being there all, all day long and so really getting them acclimated now as opposed to suddenly changing their lifestyle is very important
0: we offer training here at prckc as well just give us a call at 816-353-0940 if you want to reach out to wayside Waves, you can go to waysidewaves.org. better communication with your pet means a better life for you both check it out And now we say goodbye to you, friends. Big thanks to Dr. Jess Nichols for being on the show this week. As for us, we're a nonprofit trying to keep pets and people together, and you can help. Just head over to PRCKC.org, and you can donate, volunteer, shop our online store, and more. If you're listening
1: to us on your favorite podcasting app, please rate us and leave us a review. That always helps folks find us. For the latest updates, please follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We're at PRR Podcast on both platforms.
0: And so until next time, tail wags and purrs to you and yours, and as the American poet Mary Oliver wrote, be prepared. A dog is adorable and noble. A dog is a true and loving friend. A dog is also a hedonist. Take care. Pet Resource Radio is a production of the Pet Resource Center of Kansas City, hosted by Scott Cotter and David Shapiro, written and produced by Scott Cotter and David Shapiro, recorded, mixed and edited by David Shapiro, music by Hazel Raw Musical Industries, a.k.a. me, More info at soundcloud.com slash Hazel Musical Industries.